Scott's going to share with us. And um, Scott, if you want to start with an introduction, that'd be great. Yep. Um, Scott Harrison. Um, let's see. Um, originally from Southern California, and that's where I met my wife. Um, my back in the day, that was the time when uh, uh, my brother and I were living together. And um, Kirsten, my brother, were going through master's classes um, at the college that we attended. And, and so, um, yeah, we each had a different um, perspective on, uh, on the story of, of you know, who, who was smitten first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we share that at a different time. I've uh, been married for uh, 20 plus years. And just actually uh, had a governor uh, last fall, 20 years, which was uh, pretty incredible. This is about who we are, yeah. right? And, and so um, I grew up in Southern California and started um, the career in Southern California. I really didn't know um, really what I wanted, wanted to do. Didn't have a, a specific you know career direction. Okay, this is... You know, other than going to college and, and studying business administration, which is a huge and kind of the catch-all, um, didn't have a thing that I'm, I'm going to be a nurse or maybe a doctor or an attorney or you know accountant that sort of thing. And so, um, wound up um, you know working just odd jobs, whether it's at a uh, research company or for a radio station, and um, just kind of run the guy. And wound up um, having a buddy who got a job at this job, this uh, company. It was a staffing agency, and that's you know, really where I got my start. I've been in town acquisition for for twenty years, mm-hmm. um, which is hard to believe. Um, but it was in that that I realized, um, I guess my my enjoyment of, of of making a match, of talking to somebody. And introducing them to an opportunity that could be their career. Um, a person getting a job that changes. I mean, that affects every relationship they have. I mean, that's, and that's. And I'm continually reminding the younger recruiters that are coming up that you know when we get lost in this world of of metrics and trying to track how many people we're hiring, how fast we're hiring them, um, that someone can. Uh, a younger recruiter can put an offer out, and and you know, it's eight hours later, and they haven't accepted yet. What's going on? I gotta get my, gotta get my start for the month. I gotta get this. Gotta get that. It's like that is somebody's. That's a career decision. That's somebody's livelihood. It affects how they put food on the table. Affects the relationships they have, uh, where they live, um, uh, you know, what they'll be doing on a daily basis. That's a huge decision, and one that should be taken lightly. So. Uh, back in the day, it was it was working at an, an agency, and and from there, that's where I really was indoctrinated into what it was like to be in that space, um, and I've been in that space again my whole career. First half was as a, a, an individual contributor and a kind of technical recruiter, um, all <laughs> back in the in the Y two K era and the whole ooh, doomsday thing. Um, and then, and then beyond that, right, the crash, um, and and uh, and then the other half was uh, still within the TA space, but in management. Uh, so we had an opportunity to be on both sides of the fence, and um, and really for me, um, you know, grew up in a Christian home. Had you know, we attended church. It was you know, kind of mandatory that the church doors were open and we were going to be there. And so that would be, you know, the Sunday school, big church as we called it in those days, um, and then evening service, and then Wednesday nights, and then whatever else that happened in between. <coughs> and uh, you know, I kind of floated along, and never really um, was my own. Uh, and so um, through the years, then um, as life you know, have it, would have it. Um, as we talked about before, right? There's, um, sometimes you have struggles that are of your own doing, right? And uh, and so had some some times where and circumstances that presented themselves where where um, it was that moment where you're figuring out, okay, what? Whoa, everything's been stripped away. What what are we doing? And what do I believe? And who do I believe in? And it was at probably at that moment um, where. Um, 
relationship with, with Christ and being a Christ follower really became something that I wanted to embrace. It wasn't just something that my parents had um, kind of foisted upon me. It was part of my upbringing. Now it was something that was my choice. Um, and so in that then begged the question, okay, now that, that, that I identify as that, and that then naturally affects everything that I do, what does that look like for when I'm at work and, and the folks that I uh, interact with at work? And so um, I wanted to share uh, an excerpt from a book that I read uh, right around this time. Um, and, I, and I don't know if it would be classified as a spiritual awakening, but it was really when, when, when uh, my faith became mine. And um, uh, so it's an excerpt from um, Max Lucado, Lucado's book, When God Whispers Your Name. And so I'll, sh- I'll share that now. And, and so just to set the, I'm going to do something a little, a little different. Uh, I was just kind of thinking about it right now. And, um, and if you guys just indulge me for a moment on this. Um, I would like for uh, because I would I would read this during my morning devotions in associate in kind of in in concert with my my devotions um, that I, I I would like for us to close our eyes to imagine that it's first thing in the morning it's Monday morning you're just waking up five five thirty in the morning and you're getting ready for this week. And all that, that that entails, right? You're coming out of the weekend, coming out of Sunday, and maybe even a great Sunday and a wonderful church service, and now you're launching into the week, and all that that might hold. Um, and I'll go ahead and then, uh, and then read this. <coughs> it's quiet. It's early. My coffee is hot. The sky is still black. The world is still asleep. The day is coming. In a few moments, the day will arrive. It will roar down the track with the rising of the sun. The stillness of the dawn will be exchanged for the noise of the day. The calm of solitude will be replaced by the pounding pace of the human race. The refuge of the early morning will be invaded by decisions to be made and deadlines to be met. For the next 12 hours, I will be exposed to the day's demands. It is now that I must make a choice. Because of Calvary, I'm free to choose. And so I choose. I choose love. No occasion justifies hatred. No injustice warrants bitterness. I choose love. Today I will love God and what God loves. I choose joy. I will invite God to be the God of circumstance. I will refuse the temptation to be cynical, the tool of the lazy thinker. I will refuse to see people as anything less than human beings created by God. I will refuse to see any problem as anything less than an opportunity to see God. I choose peace. I will live forgiven. I will forgive so that I may live. I choose patience. I will overlook the inconveniences of the world instead of cursing the one who takes my place. I'll invite him to do so. Rather than complain that the wait is too long, I will thank God for a moment to pray. Instead of clenching my fist at new assignments, I will face them with joy and courage. I choose kindness. I will be kind to the poor, for they are alone. Kind to the rich, for they are afraid. And kind to the unkind. For such is how God has treated me. I choose goodness. I will go without a dollar before I take it to honest one. I will be overlooked before I will boast. I will confess before I will accuse. I choose goodness. I choose faithfulness. Today I will keep my promises. My debtors will not regret their trust. My associates will not question my word. My wife will not question my love. And my children will never fear that their father will not come home. I choose gentleness. Nothing is won by force. I choose to be gentle. If I raise my voice, may it only be in praise. If I clench my fist, may it only be in prayer. If I make a demand, may it only be of myself. I choose self-control. 
I am a spiritual being. After this body is dead, my spirit will soar. I refuse to let what will rot rule the eternal. I choose self-control. I will be drunk only by joy. I will be impassioned only by my faith. I will be influenced only by God. I will be taught only by Christ. I choose self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. To these I commit my day. If I succeed, I will give thanks. If I fail, I will seek His grace. And then when this day is done, I will place my head on my pillow and rest. So you can see, yeah, for me, um, the peace in there that touches me, big time, uh, resonates with me. And for me, it was more of kind of a daily, <clears throat> not, a, not a recalibration, but sometimes it was, but it was a, a setting up the course. Okay, today, this is what we're going to do. And there would be days where, um, early on, where throughout the day I would <laughs> come back to it and read it again, and then read it again. And oftentimes, right on the heels of that would be um, a time of prayer, even just shutting my eyes for a moment and thanking God for his pursuit of me. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm going I'm to pivot a little bit and just, you know, I know um, <clears throat> a lot of wonderful things have been shared already, and we've got a lot of really deep things to think about. I mean, I appreciate that, because I've been spiritually fed today, some really solid meat and potatoes, and, and I'm appreciative. Um, uh, I do want to talk about, um, you know, our role, um, not so much in, does our work have meaning, and what is the meaning of that work, in the context of, of uh, being Christ followers, but being at work, and interacting with folks. What does that relational ministry look like? Um, what should it look like? Um, and, and I'm kind of excited to be able to, I don't know, wrestle through that a little bit with, with uh, all of you. I've got some examples of, of where I, um, through God's grace, might have handled things well, and equally through His grace where I didn't, and there was still um, redemption in the midst of it. Um, I also realized early on that um, us as being Christians in the workplace, um, whether we state it or not, um, folks know, or they surmise, or eventually they do find out. And once that happens, things change. Their, their view of us changes the microscope the, the spotlight is on us and we're under that microscope and so um, I, I think there's an added at least I feel the added weight at that point of wearing that um, that label and knowing that um, and not that I need to be set the example for other folks but I feel that um I don't know. I want to. I want to do it differently. I want to react not as the world might react in a situation, but I want to react in a way that uh, would be uplifting and would always point to, to Christ. And so, with that, is a lot of it's pressure, um, without question. Um, I mean, I can't. I can't um, even imagine <laughs> going into you know uh, my boss's boss's office and and. Leading with that, would I love to have an occasion where that would be the case? Yeah, yeah, but I, I haven't. Um, and so I think for me, from today and from the conversations, that's encouraging to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I worry sometimes that um, that I wind up blending in a little too much. Um, you know that that we talked about the struggle of the place you work starting to change who you are and how and how you operate. Um, I know in, uh, in coming to Amazon, that was a huge struggle for me. Um, I've been there two years and four months now. And uh, it is an interesting culture. And not to, and I, and I don't, I certainly don't want to spend time just talking about Amazon. That's not what I want to do. Um, 
but it sets the stage for what I'm what I'm wanting to get at in that uh, it is um, a very um, hard charging, unforgiving culture. It is one where um, where social drinking is is the norm, and and so here I am coming in, um, leading a team wanting to um, wanting to live out my faith, um, wanting to uh, be known not for oh hey you know uh, let me introduce you to my friend Scott he's a staffing manager or he's a recruiting manager no uh, let me introduce you to my friend Scott who is solid individual great person a good Christian he's this you know it's what, what you want to be defined by I don't want to be defined by my work I really don't and so showing up there and seeing all that was going on first week I was there was the email that went out uh, on a Wednesday morning at 9.30 hey mimosa's at my desk like what? And almost, I almost thought it was a trick. I was like, okay, someone's trying to you know, catch us in something. This doesn't sound right. But that's a part. That was a part of the culture. Um, and I, I quickly learned that not only was Amazon different, but Seattle was different. They relocated from the south, um, where you know, there's a church on every corner and, and probably 15 on every block, right? And everybody says, I'm a Christian. And that turned so broad, um, and just because they, you know, maybe they have a relative that goes to church, they're a Christian, uh, or they atw- attend on the major holidays, makes them a Christian. Uh, and then you come here, and uh, it just wasn't the case. You know, you really had to uh, search out uh, a church, the search you had to, to defend your faith. You know, even if you said you were a Christian, you really had to. You know, you're under the microscope. You're like defend yourself. So I remember um, early on being there and, and uh, having a conversation. It was the end of the day, about 6 p.m., and I was wrapping up my day and ready to leave. And one of the other managers asked me, hey, you know, what do you got going tonight? What's on tap for tonight? It was Wednesday night. And uh, I said, hey, you know, we're, we're heading up to Mall Lake Terrace for uh, Wednesday night church. Kind of took my back in. Pause, and he's like, "Wait, what?" He said, "You're, you're the. I've been here six months. He had transplanted from the south as well. So you're the first person that I've ever heard talk about church. In the six months I've been here." And I was like, well, "You gotta be kidding me!" And and not only that, he followed up with saying, "And actually, you're probably the only person I know here that actually goes to church." I thought. Oh, whoa, what a, what a, for me, it was like, wow. In that instance, it was a, a little bit of a scary prospect, but also the feeling of, wow, the opportunity for impact in this city is monumental. Uh, we talk about this, and, and Justin, I know you mentioned it. We feel that folks, you know, folks, folks relocate here and are being drawn here. I think because God's doing something, you know, not that He's about to do something, but He's in the midst of doing something, and and uh, so you hear it all the time, folks. Uh, we have them in our church, and Courtney and Cameron and Amy and Joel. Where they they came out here, maybe didn't have a job, didn't didn't know what they were going to do, but they felt God leading them to be here. And so I know for me, I want to be I want to be caught up in the good that He's doing. So. Um, so, you know, I share that example with Johnny because Johnny and I have since become really, really close friends. Uh, he's someone that uh, grew up in the South, um, grew up going to church, but grew, growing to church and, and because it was a mandate, right? You were, you were told you, you had to do it. And so he grew up in a church where a lot of the things that were being taught were not biblical. And so he carries that with him. And so he doesn't go to church today. He call himself a Christian. Um, it's one of those that is is kind of um, grounded, and he's and he's spiritual in his own way. He would say. Um, and so we've had a, an opportunity to have some really good and very deep conversations. And I think um, for for uh, 
for Johnny and myself times of, with those conversations where there's been restoration and a slow healing and I know for him the Johnny I knew when I first came in and the Johnny I knew today um, I look back and I go okay I can see the trajectory of that healing and I'm, I'm thankful to have been a, a part of that um, and again it just goes back into the whole thing of the relational ministry he, he wouldn't open up he wouldn't say what he says or be willing to share if we're not genuine and authentic and, and, and living out our Christian faith in a way that we're not throwing verses at them and we're not you know um, kind of that, that holier than thou for lack of a better term but, but we're able to see and he's seen me at my best and my worst and been able to see how I how I operated in, in all of that and and back to the I guess the gravity of, of what that is for me it's it's the difference of thinking that you can do it on your own or that the realization the start realization and almost the scariness of I, I need to be fully submitted to, to Christ to be able to do what he's trying to get done to be a part of what he's trying to get done I think for me it's, it's, it's a scary thing where I track back and I look at some of the situations that I've experienced here where yeah, things have been handled well and, and then things where I didn't handle them well and, and I try to track that line and go okay where was I with my emotions where was I in my relationship where was I in my pursuit uh, of time with God prayer time alone um, and as I was trying to put all this together and just get my thoughts that's, that kind of came out and it was like a, a period of self-reflection for me trying to, trying to and I was, it, it, it's humbling and embarrassing you know, to admit that right? because we have those seasons where we're close and we've leaned in and we feel him in an extra special way and then there are seasons where things might be going very smoothly and very good and we haven't been as diligent with our devotions or our prayer time and that sort of thing so um, I just you know I, I look at um, my experience with a brand new member of the team and I think this, this is part of the time where I, I felt like I maybe was not ready at my best or wasn't fully yielded um, where a new member of the team comes in, he's a transplant from Chicago by way of China, and um, he is he is very vocal and and um, uh, very vocal about his uh, lifestyle and and his speech make, which came in though making a lot of folks uncomfortable. And I remember having conversations with him about it. Um, and not about, again, not about you know, your lifestyle or your choice, but it's, it's about making other folks uncomfortable. And having that conversation with them, um, trying not to be that guy, that Christian guy who's trying to change somebody, but just trying to come alongside them and to talk through that. Um, in the course of our conversation, I remember uh, you know, speaking far <laughs> far more uh, loudly than I should have and, and certainly um, using a few choice words that I shouldn't have. And that was at the end of the day. We both kind of, it was almost like a agree to disagree. We left um, the meeting and, and I went home and I remember having a conversation with Kirsten and uh, I do not feel good about that at all. Um, and having the distinct feelings of and fear of the irreparable harm that I could have done, not just for our relationship, but in representing Christ, in being a Christian and not wanting to be that guy who who continues to pay into or or reinforce the the stereotypes of the folks that have hurt so many of these people before. Um, and so we talked about it and um, you know, Chris helped me to kind of gain perspective and to 
and to realize exactly what I needed to do. I knew I wanted to reach back out to him. I needed to talk to him. I needed to to um, apologize and seek um, reconciliation. And I remember waking up early uh, the next morning, eager to be able to just get into work, eager to just be able to see him because I needed to set that right. I needed to repair that, um, not knowing what that would look like or how it would be received. Um, and I remember pulling aside and and letting him know just basically saying you know, how things operated yesterday, how things unfolded yesterday um, made me sick inside. And this is not how I operate. This is not how I want us to operate. And I certainly don't want this to be in a representation of, of how you think I am or how I, how I am. And I need to apologize for um, what I said to you and how I said it to you. And it was interesting because you know, again, he was taken aback, and he's like, he's like, wait, he's already talking about yesterday, and, and I'm like, yeah, exactly, and he's like, I've, I've forgotten all about that, you know, he's like, I've, I've worked at places where I was yelled at every week, and, and I, and I was punched once, and, yeah, okay, but, you know, I, I, I said, well, you know, um, you know, I, I get that, but I, I need you to know that that for me that was not okay, and I need you. Um, I said I don't need you, need you to accept my apology, but I need you to know that that I'm trying to seek your forgiveness, and I, you know, and that I do apologize. And um, he has he has since. Uh, coming back to, back to me on a couple of occasions. He treats me differently now, which is interesting. Um, and in a way, um, at first he avoided me and, and now has started to, to, to come back around and, and to engage with me in a different way. Um, and so I, I guess I share a couple of those experiences just, just as I'm just trying to shorten it a little bit. <sighs> I, I want, and this is again my personal belief and my personal experiences in, in the workplace, is I, I really, um, I, I want to stand out, and not stand out for standing out's sake. I want to, I want to, I want to make sure that I'm doing things, one, that is uplifting and pointing folks to Christ, but I also want to be doing things that would cause folks to want to engage in conversation and to understand why I might do something the way I do it. Um, not that not that it's better, yeah. but it's just it's different. And and having that opportunity to engage with them and and for them to want to ask opens the door for us to start to talk about it. The flip side of that is though, if you're going to talk about it, you better live it. Um, that's that's the other start of <laughs> reality in the situation. Um, and not that you have to live it perfectly, but um, just like with my my example about seeking kind of the, the forgiveness of this gentleman, uh, is that man when you when you when you don't do it right, and we're not gonna you know we're not always gonna get it right, when we do screw up, man we've gotta we've gotta we've gotta seek forgiveness, we've gotta model what that looks like. Um, I just feel. Uh, especially with where where I work, um, and it may not be the case everywhere. It wasn't where I was before. This just this huge mandate to um, to model that on a daily basis, to really be be someone who is um, authentic. We talked about that a little bit earlier, where this generation is all about you know. Uh, Skepticism and knowing when someone isn't living it out, they're talking it and not walking it. And so I'm, I'm trying to be, um, I guess, on my knees daily, praying that that, that would be uh, something that I could live out um, on a daily basis. Um, let's jump real quick. Yeah, I um, and I don't, I don't again, don't want to belabor it. Um, just want to um, 
just wrap by, wrap up by saying a, a, a little bit of this. I, I want to be someone who leans in. Um, there's a lot of you know, where people work, where I, where I work. There's a lot of uh, brokenness and a lot of pain. And I want to be someone that is present. I want to be someone that um, that leans in, that comes alongside them. Um, I, I certainly don't want to be dominating. Um, I don't want to be someone that's trying to fix them. And at the forefront of my mind is not trying to convert them. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to come do is come alongside them. Um, and, and hopefully in coming alongside them and exhibiting the faithfulness to be there uh, in the midst of their struggle, again, not trying to pull it away, not trying to solve it, but being there with them, whether that's getting down in it with them and really um, dealing with the hard stuff, that hopefully through that, they would experience um, Christ's love through me. Um, the love that I've experienced, the transformative love that I've experienced. Um, and then at that point in time, we might be led to a point where we could have to deeper conversations, but I don't want to lead with that, and I don't want to be perceived as having an ulterior motive every time. You know, we talked about you know the person that leads with the scripture every read every time. I, I want to be that that person who authentically loves, uh, who genuinely cares, and and listens without judging. So. Um, yeah, I've got many more examples, and I don't, you know, again, we're, we're on the day, and there's some wonderful things shared, but, um, yeah, if we want to just, you know, talk through some things, that would be, that probably perfect, perfect time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had a question. It seems like, um, Scott, with your testimony with the workplace, I think it's really really beautiful because it's so witness um, it's like the witness sphere of working and I it sounds like a lot of those witness opportunities take place in the context of pulling somebody aside and and having like a human to human conversation Um, and sometimes I wonder because I've had experiences like this in, in, in the office where like taking time to do that in the work day, mm-hmm. um, like it, it doesn't fit, or that it's also maybe inappropriate Friend because one. well because it's also you know it's company time, time. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And but but then again with these people that you have conflict with, mm-hmm. you're less likely to be able to say let's let's go out and do something off the time. Right, so right. so how how do you how do you kind of edge towards that if you're if you're in a situation like that? Yeah, you know, like, like working that. side by side maybe. Uh, it, it's interesting. We, um, I guess, my my initial uh, response or answer is, is that you know we uh, we work a lot of hours. <laughs> so, where some folks would say, you know, you yeah, you greatly exceeded your forty, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, for the week. And not to be flippant, I, I just I see it as, um, uh, and I and I never I guess felt like I was maybe not uh, or robbing. <coughs> You know, stealing from the company's time, mm-hmm. so to speak, um, and and really believe that um, those conversations and those opportunities to work at re- reconciliation or at even just um, giving advice were, were better in the company and better in the, the workforce. Mm-hmm. Such a junior population where I work. Um, you know, I'm by far the old man of the ship, mm-hmm. um, and in a, and in you know, it's so interesting because I at times I I really feel like um, the guidance counselor or um, you know an extension of their parents. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it is the it, it's a it's a generation full of you know where's my participation trophy. Um, and they've been told for so long that, that they're the best and they're great. And, and I mean, it's Amazon, so we've got a lot of really, really smart folks, and we do have a lot of really good folks. Um, but they've just, they've never experienced some of the things that they're experiencing there. And so for me, I go, I, I count myself lucky that I get to be someone that leans in and pours into them. Um, that's something that I enjoy. You know, when you're thinking about, okay, what are you passionate about? And in your work, what continues to fuel you? Why do you why do you do what you do? Um, and for me, I love to 
work to mentor and help uh, kind of the younger uh, staff that's coming up. Um, you know, if I can help them avoiding the mistakes that I've made, um, then I would, I'd love to. I'd want to do that. But it's also helping them um, just navigate what it looks like to be in a corporate setting for their very first time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that, that can be shocking, um, and it's. I've often said it's a little bit um, unfair for for Amazon to be someone's very first job because it's not like anywhere else, uh, and so we're possibly setting them up for for a rude awakening if they leave Amazon and go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so I try to lean in and do what I can and try to you know, help with that. So it's funny because my my time is, is is spent that way, and so a lot of those conversations, you know, kind of kind of do this, right? It's it, we're dealing with business, but we're also talking about life skills, and then we're talking about well, how do I cope with this, and then and well, then you need secret reconciliation with this relationship over here, and okay, well, then you need, and so everything just kind of it just meanders in a natural progression of of the conversation. So I don't think. Yeah. I mean, so much of that's easy to be justified when we talk about things like productivity and team yeah. team working together. Um, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like these. Um, it reminds me. My brother just shared with me. I heard. His, I heard a little bit about his story. But when he got out of college, he got on with a, a marketing company, and they were flying all over the place, and and he. They were. It's all about drinking and all this kind of stuff. And he was getting just sick about it. He didn't like the lifestyle. And the, the sort of the icing on the cake was one night he, he was down in the bar with all the guys. He just you know, just out of his degree and working at his company. And and the the boss was like, hey, um, you know, pointed to a woman. This, Sitting over at a table because he's like she's yours, you know, like mm-hmm. setting it up with a woman for the night, all the drinking and all this kind of stuff. Well, anyway, eventually my brother um, was going to kill himself. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. My brother is like an incredible Christian and like does tons of mission work in South America for years and years, and he ministers down there, he preaches down there, and and his own church in Tulsa. And um, he even, and I couldn't believe this. I just heard this story about a month ago that he actually planned his suicide, where it was going to happen, all this kind of stuff. He actually went out and stood on the curb and was going to wait for the biggest truck to go by. And then he had like a, you know, God moment. And he became born again and all that. But I guess in, I was thinking about people who are who are young and getting in this culture and it's like drinking and partying and all of that. Is there any kind of like help there to sort of like make sure that <laughs> you know any you know supervision <laughs> No, I mean it just seems like some of the they're just I don't know. I guess they're adults and they can't right. and, we've, and, and we've seen it we've seen it um mm-hmm. somebody did jump off when you're building. We've seen it play out. Yeah. Um, because it's like too much. It's like, I, I mean, I have no idea what it's like there, but it sounds like Well, and that's <laughs> and, and, crazy. And like we've, we kind of talked about earlier is, is that fight between um, the, the stealing of your identity um, or your, your identity being shaped or morphed. It will be by something. And so if you're not intentional about what that might be, um, then that's that's what we mm-hmm. we see a full embracing of of this lifestyle or, or self destructive mm-hmm. behavior mm-hmm. and bad habits and um, you know and I, and and I you know absolutely you know struggled with that as well when I first came on board it was just all consuming and it it was and I don't think I was as maybe I didn't have my eyes as wide as they should have been coming into it. And I probably wasn't as diligent in trying to uh, mitigate that or do what I knew, use the tools that I knew, you know, which, which for me was just really time steeped in prayer and just quiet time. Um, I just wasn't wasn't doing it. I'm, I'm Northwest born and raised. I'm not a transplant. And, and my experience coming into a church was long, but that's not 
it's not in my family background, extended family. You have to get to my 103-year-old great-grandma when I was a kid. That was the only Christian I knew. Um, and and so, so this culture of Christianity is all I've ever known. And when I found myself in other places, I haven't been to the South, but I can imagine. I've been to California, and that's overwhelming for me because it's, you know, there... The walls are so high, and the culture wars raised so hot. There's, there's, there's rules for Christians to be acceptable in California that I can't navigate. You know, um, I don't, I don't speak that language. I don't think in those ways. Um, and so I've always felt very at home here, and I appreciate a lot of the positives of this culture when it comes to being a Christian. Like one that was mentioned um, somewhat earlier is is that the label it is not useless here because you have to you have to want to claim it. Um, and so generally if somebody identifies that way, you don't have to wonder, you know, and I think that's really helpful. Um, but it's also worth pointing out that although I've been out of the non church workforce for a dozen years now, um, ministry wasn't really my agenda or my plan and my first job in a church was as a janitor so even even my entrance in was kind of a bit of a surprise and so there was this period of time where I was working and attending Bible college and one of the things I just wanted to encourage you guys with is because the stakes are so high here it's not merely I'm the only Christian in my workplace ever it's always I don't know the other Christians in my workplace and it's it's not um, not merely I need to be a witness to my coworkers, but just your presence and doing those things is an encouragement. I remember I was working at a plant nursery, and the the thing is when when you're attending Bible college, not only do you have a natural door to talk about these things, but it's somewhat unavoidable, you know. Um, and so so it was just day one. So. Why are you here? Well, I'm paying my way through school. Where do you go to school? It's just, that's the way it goes. And so this guy I was working with um, was coming from a very different place, and and we had some really good conversations, and it was an ongoing thing, you know, and he loved listening to um, uh, uh, Howard... Stern, and and he would ask my permission. He's like, "Do you mind?" And I'm like, "No, do do what you want, you know." And we had these conversations. But after I'd been there for a week, another guy who was always quiet and always working on the line next to me pulled me aside and he just said, "I'm just so glad you're here. I've been just dying of isolation." And he was from a very strong. He his wife was. Yeah, I imagine he was too, but she was clearly a Mennonite. Mm-hmm. Like when she came to pick him up and work, she was, you know, he's he's just culturally out of his element on top of religiously. Um, and there wasn't really any awareness there. Um, but I've seen that context play out a lot. You know, I don't wear the cleric's collar. There's no confessional in our church. But I hear the hidden sides of the story that you guys don't get to see. Um, and the stress that you're talking about and that existence in the workplace, you know, is, is constant and just, just that willingness to, um, you know, take the name and, and recognize there's a weight and a responsibility with it eases the culture in, in a way that makes it possible for others to do so. And the other thing I wanted to say is I find for, for a lot of us in this culture, because the stakes feel so high, um, I don't think we always recognize that there's not just a self-interest in avoiding whatever consequence could come, but a lot of the times we don't want to look these things in the eyes because we're afraid we don't have the answers. Mm -hmm. And so even when we do get into a discussion, our primary goal is to convince ourselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, that there's no way to do that lovingly. And, you know, by the time I got to Bible college... There wasn't a philosophy I hadn't entertained, and I had come to a place where um, there was a boatload of arguing. That's what I got saved from, and so so I've always had an ability to discuss level-headedly with people, even though the stakes are clearly heaven and hell high. Um, And one of the reasons is because um, because I'm not in that place where I have to justify my existence as a Christian to myself or anyone else, you know. And it's I, I just I just think it's important to recognize that sometimes we feel like 
we're arguing because we care, and that's not always the case. A lot of times we're arguing because we're afraid. And you can't, you have to come to a place where you've looked your own questions in the eye and found your answers and surrendered the unknowns. Um, and then you can just come alongside someone and you can be a witness without, um, you know, in Galatians it talks about these people who just want to earn earn your salvation as evidence of their righteousness. And right. that in, in a culture like this, that's more problematic yeah. because, because it's so isolating and because the antagonism is so visible. It's interesting how people, I mean, I don't know at what age, I'm so old now, I can't remember all these things, but what age do you sort of like say, eh, I'm not really wanting to do this anymore? You know, is it, is it like, you know, the, like, well, I mean, just the, uh, what you're talking about, the, the drinking and okay. the culture and the mimosas at work and all that kind of stuff. And well, I mean, I, you, you see it only, no age It's, it's such well, a large organization, see, too. Yeah, yeah that. you see the folks that have never been exposed to it, mm-hmm. fully embracing it, and you have the folks that have probably been through it and, and are at that point where they're kind of, kind of coming out the other side yeah. and go, okay, uh, I've experienced that and really don't appreciate it. You know all that goes along with it, mm-hmm. and now I'm here. So we, we just see all. We yeah. See all well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. But uh, like, yeah, I think we have to be uh, again careful that we don't think we're all alone when we're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, was, I just looked up this mm-hmm. uh, story of Elijah where he was hiding out in the cave, and the Lord said, "What are you doing here?" And he says, "Well, I'm the only one." And he said, "Well, let me show you." Mm-hmm. And he took them out to see mm-hmm. all of those that were supportive of, mm-hmm. of God and His purposes. And I, uh, I've gotten to know quite a few Christians at Amazon, mm-hmm. and I think there are a lot more places than yeah. we could believe. I was talking with a woman from Amazon, uh, from Apple, recently, and Apple's done an interesting thing. They've decided that in the name of diversity. They will be supportive of people of various interest groups. Christians, Muslims, Jews, atheists, they have groups. She told me that she is now chairing the group of Christians, and there's a thousand people in it. And last year, Apple paid her way to the Faith at Work Summit in Dallas because that was what she did, and that's what she stood for. I think... Um, I think it's I think it's easy to think we're alone, yeah. mm-hmm. and I liked what you said of not am I alone, but who else is here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a different question, yeah. Yeah. and uh, and it can be surprising and also really encouraging. Mm-hmm. Well, having grown up in the South and then living out here now, close to um, well, going almost to two decades at this point, the I think the biggest differentiator is in the South, uh, as you as you point, especially deep South. You're, you're everyone's a Christian, and uh, it's it's not a it's not an unpopular term, right? Where here, any almost every people group, you pick a sector, it could be uh, gender, it could be race, whatever, is uh, some is a is a is a flag to be raised, right? Like it's something to identify with and to acclaim to, uh, with the exception of Christian, for the most mm-hmm. part. It's not the most popular. Like you're not going to win yeah. favors by mm-hmm. raising that flag, but to your point, there's lots of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's I would say that's true in my, even in my organization. There's a lot of people who are Christians but don't choose to raise the flag. It's kind of something I ran into, and I would say the other population that seems to be true here it's different than the South, is the veteran community. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually, because we do this, the veterans choose to not self-identify. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to self-identify because of things like, we had a, a media blow up over this because of our support of the GIs uh, not long ago, where it's like, a, there's a lot of conversation around the murder machine that is mm-hmm. these these individuals. And uh, and I think that that's because we've, we, you know, in any, I'll, I'll just say, like, it doesn't matter where you're from, there are always groups of people that are alienated and those who are acclaimed to and, and the Northwest just seems to be a little different in the sense that it's typical in the South that like everyone's Christian but they just don't really get to the meat of what that means right. and there's a surface level to it versus here it's like this, and I would say it's true of anything it's like I, I know people who are like I talked to a gal the other day and she was saying how she joined a protest in Seattle uh, fighting for rights of uh, what is now 
I, it, the, the acronym has gotten so long at this point for the LGBTQ and on, I think it's all the way down to K now, um, community, and I asked her why. I, said, I mean, what, what's the motivation? And I, um, not that I, uh, it could follow the transparency, we support um, some of those communities as well. Uh, and, and she's like, oh, I just thought it would be fun. <laughs> and, and I think that's just an interesting paradigm when you think about this idea of uh, that wouldn't be fun in other parts of the world. Like you would have to literally be willing to stand up for that, and that's what Christianity is here today. You know, it's like you have to be willing to to own the badge, I guess. Um, one thing that I, I'd like to bring up just before we tie up is is there there are people you know who are going to be listening to our recording where they're their vocations break the mold of some of the things we've been discussing uh, just because it's it's literally in my home um how do we apply some of these to the office of like a stay-at-home mom um where you know we we talked quite a bit about this dichotomy of witness in the workplace and that that implies being amidst strangers we talked a little bit about uh combating this false dichotomy of work and life balance um, but that's something that looks very different for a stay-at-home mom in a home that's on the clock in the office 24 hours a day. So I just kind of wanted to start that discussion, and hopefully maybe we can chime on some of those things uh, so that way our stay-at-home moms who listen to the recording can have something to uh, really apply to their job specifically. Well, I think that's a good role for it. Like, well, that, that job never ends. Right? It's unceasing. And... It's almost the opposite issue there, where the finding the rest is always and making it a priority. Speaking for uh, speaking for my wife, I know that's a balance uh, for sure and hard to come by. And there's always some reason that you can't get it um, that can that can be in the way. And sometimes that's self-inflicted, and sometimes it's not. Hmm. Well, I've done that. Yeah, please do. <laughs> but I yeah, so I've been both. Stay at home mom, working mom, part time, full time, homeschool mom. Um, and now the mom of a child that's getting ready to leave the home to go to college and um, <clears throat> being. Um, okay, so I, I definitely. I'm just going to talk this out because I haven't thought it through because I didn't know it was coming. So, <laughs> um, so I recently um, read a book called Like Do Your Youth uh, by Eugene Peterson. And it talks about how when our children are young, um, we parent in authoritarian style because we have to protect them and things like that. But for me, and I guess for us, but um, in this last season, um, so there comes a time as a, as a mom, as a dad, um, that and, and honestly, I, I, I think that it's good to begin with the end in mind. So even in a season when your children are young, that we're just not setting and enforcing the rules, but it's an apprenticeship. And so the way that these ladies, these moms, and these dads are living their lives in front of their children is way more impactful a lot of times, I think, than the words that we speak. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pressure that comes with that, I think, but on the flip side, some of the most impactful times I've had with my kids are when I've screwed it up. And when I come to them, guys, you know, you know, I, you see me at worst. You know, it's easy to put on um, a face of who I want to be when I'm with everybody else, but you guys see the core of me, and, you know, and so it's, yeah, I mean, this is work that is shaping lives, and um, there is the, um, there's that, what's that, the quotidian, um, do you guys familiar with the, uh, Kathleen Norris, um, and th- there's that, uh, the quotidian mysteries or something like that. And it's quotidian, it's, you know, the, the ordinary, the daily, um, the things that we repeat, the laundry, the dishes. Um, so I think it's a challenge to find um, the joy in that. Um, 
I, yeah, I, I think it's something that I wrestled with, but um, I can definitely recommend some books. But, um, and then just one other book that was impactful for me in that season is The Practice of the Presence of God with Brother Hortz, who was, you know, washing dishes and um, praising the Lord. And, yeah, and so, you know, we're all made up differently, you know, and we go through different seasons. Um, for me... Being a stay-at-home mom was probably one of the hardest things I ever did. Um, it, it's way easier to go to a workplace where I'm reinforced positively, verbally, um, where I have satisfying results. Um, and so I guess in, you know, things that I would encourage um, stay-at-home moms with is, is learning how to do self-care and how to, I don't know, and, and then the other thing is just community and that, that you're not in it alone and finding, you know, your your people um, that will, uh, it's like iron sharpening iron, that will be with you in it uh, and speak truth to you and encouragement and, um, yeah, so that's just just off the top of my head, a couple of thoughts. I think it's tremendously important to recognize that our culture is unique in world history for devaluing the home mm-hmm. and the raising of children. Um, there's a uh, Indian author and activist. She's a nuclear physicist who's become an activist. Her name is Vandana Shiva, and she's written a couple of books, and she's shown that economics environmental issues and the plight of women are always collectively together, that the three go hand in hand. And she points out that from an American capitalist perspective, there is no GDP to the family. And so there's no profitability. And so when we assess um, broadly as a culture, when we assess our own sense of worth, it's so tied to capitalistic understandings we can't see this. Um, But Christianity especially, not just biblically, but throughout its entire heritage, has had a strong resource for this. And so C.S. Lewis called motherhood the great occupation by which all other, or uh, which all other occupations serve. Mm -hmm. And um, and I really appreciate uh, Chesterton on this issue, writing a hundred years ago during the women's suffragette movement, and he's, he's trying to recognize that at least in in the goals that women had, they were also wrongly evaluating things that were traditionally handled by women. And so he says, he says this, and I think it's helpful for just setting, setting in mind what we're talking about here. He says, how can it be a large career to tell other people's children about the rule of three and a small career to tell one's own children about the universe? Mm-hmm. How can it be broad to be the same thing to everyone and narrow to be everything to someone? Mm-hmm. No, a woman's function is laborious, but because it is gigantic, not because it is minute. Mm-hmm. I will pity Mrs. Jones for the hugeness of her task. I will never pity her for its smallness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's saying that, and it's countercultural in his time, but it's coming not reactionary, but from the core of his understanding of the universe, which is a Christian understanding that recognizes um, that the imago Dei, the image of God in your children, validates your work in a way that we just don't often vet through our normal sense of success or significance um, in the modern world. I think part of this problem is the language problem. So I mentioned the book by Tom Nelson earlier, What Matters, and he's got a chapter on the language police. And he said, we're very careful at our church not to use the term full-time ministry because that conjures up something that doesn't exist. (laughs) Because everyone is in full-time ministry if we're doing as we think about these things. Similarly, in the language police, sometimes it's said, well, I don't work. And what that means is they're working at home, (laughs) which is definitely work for anyone who's ever done it. And so it's a language issue that I think can distort this. And there's a book by, um, you've you've mentioned some older books, and I think they're really good. There's a new book uh, by a woman named Tish uh, Harrison Warren called The Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life. And then this book is brilliant. She's a a great writer. 
And she talks about kind of the ordinary things and seeing God in those ordinary things of life. And I do think um, this connecting work and economics has a downside that we measure everything by economics. And I think it's really important that we think of work in this way. So that resource in particular, I think, might be if, if... Mm-hmm. If the woman had time to read it, yeah. <laughs> it's actually I just listened to her on the podcast, so I can get yeah. that link too because yeah. it was you know it's easier to do the dishes yeah. with your headphones mm-hmm. yeah. and listen to her podcast. Charles Spurgeon famously said, "If God calls you to be a preacher, don't stoop to be a king." <laughs> I totally believe in that, but we can't. We have to come to a place where we can say, if God calls you to be a plumber, don't stoop to stoop to be a missionary. Right. You know, where we see calling in this broader, broader mm-hmm. sense. Um, and I think, I think even as people go about this, um, language matters, like Al shared. You know, and so even when we talk about work being our mission field, that narrows the scope as opposed to work being our mission. Mm -hmm. And another person I found to be tremendously helpful on this is Dorothy Sayers and her essays on Mm -hmm. work. Incredible. Um, She really gets rid of a lot of the the mistakes that we make. And one of my favorites is she says, you have to learn how to just serve the work. And so, so even if there's a cause behind the work, you can get caught up in a place where now you're expecting gratitude. And if the gratitude is, isn't there? It shows where your heart is, mm-hmm. and and she basically says the work itself is worthwhile, mm-hmm. um, and and especially in child rearing um, and parenting, you are actively actively reflecting both the heart and work of God, mm-hmm. and so even even if your kids because they are free will, they are going to make their own choices, even if they don't make the choices you would prefer or walk the path that you've raised them in, the work still reflects the heart of God because that's who we are. We're, we're untoward children, right? We're wayward spouses. And so, so the work itself is valuable because it manifests the character of God. And it's striking. It hit me today for the first time, but when you go back in Genesis and it says that we're created in the image of God, clearly that term comes from a cultural place, and we can talk about that. But if the Bible was all you had and you had to say, what is God's image? All you have to go on is the creation of the world. And what you see is that, um, that he is creative, um, that he's altruistic. He doesn't need an earth. He doesn't create it for himself, but he just creates. It comes out of him. Mm-hmm. It's from him and not um, for him in, in one sense. Um, and and even, even the sense that it is... Um, um, even in the sense that it involves things like uh, beauty and goodness, it's, it's all there. And so we, when we answer the question, what does it mean to be created in the image of God? Anything that reflects those realities uh, is the fulfillment of human purpose. You know, whether, whether it accomplishes its goals, uh, whether it um, can be directly connected um, to some sort of economic payout, you know, all of those things are secondary to that fact. Another danger in calling today is that sometimes people say, well, it's just, where am I gifted? Mm -hmm. And it isn't just about giftedness. I mean, that's another reason I love the story of Joseph, Mm -hmm. is because he was called to be a slave and a prison guard <laughs> because that was where God placed him and I like to tell my students don't say what am I going to be called to do right now you're called to be a student so do it with all your heart uh, you know it's it, 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 it's one of these traps that we've set up uh, it's true that we're gifted in different ways but God can use us wherever we're placed so often gifts can be the source of pride too yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think into this motherhood, you know, that, that it may just be a season, you know, and so, yeah, yeah. I think that, um, I, I really appreciate what you said about the giftedness, because sometimes we just have to do what we have to do, you yeah. know, and we don't get to choose to be fulfilled by it, but to, um, I love, Justin has shared a couple of times that, um, 
like I think you interacted with a friend who wanted to go to the mission field, and you said, what are you doing to be faithful to that call right now? So maybe God's put a seed in us for something in the future. But we can begin to be faithful while we're in the home with our kids. We can be faithful while we're working at McDonald's to get, you know, the bills paid. It's like, yeah, he's doing something, and, and maybe it's out there, but it's today. You can always yeah. be faithful today. Mm-hmm. I'm not gifted to change diapers. <laughs> <laughs> right, and then the other thing for stay-at-home moms I hear, oh yeah, uh, my husband's going to babysit. It's like, no, 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 no. You're not babysitting. You are parenting as well, right? So, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, this has been really enjoyable and helpful for me. I hope it has been for you as well. Um, I think it would be uh, amiss if we didn't take a little bit of time and just pray. I think, I think the, the formula for God working in our life often flows through a very natural process, which is that God speaks and we respond. Mm-hmm. And I think prayer is almost always the cutting edge of that response. Hopefully, what you've heard today will lead to other things. You know, the seed has been sown, the seeds will grow. Um, but a lot of times, the first step is, is actively speaking back to God, actively receiving, actively asking our questions where there's still gap in our understanding. Um, And so I want to just take some time and leave some space for us to just lead out in prayer in the context of this small little community here that can agree with us. Um, And so so let's just take some time and where you feel a touch point in what we've talked about um, in your own callings, in your own life and work. Um, in the context of your desires for your family, your friends, your neighbors, your city, your church, uh, in the desires you have, and, and as well as uh, the difficulties. You know, it's, like Al said earlier, um, there's always the potential that right now we're in a season of question and darkness, difficulty and doubt. And if we learn anything, it's that we don't just have to grin and bear that according to the scriptures, that it's part of the process to ask, to cry out, to seek the Lord, um, to, to be honest and authentic before Him, um, is often uh, faith and not doubt. Mm-hmm. And so, so let's just take some time and pray.